0: From the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason, comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is, the Good Atheist. Welcome to a very special episode of The Good Atheist in which I declare my comeback. Stay tuned for also 15 minutes of a preview of Bible Stories Chapter 1, also available on YouTube. You won't want to miss it. The Good Atheist Returns Before I tell you about the beginning of a new era, I'd like to tell you about the end of one. The year was 2017. After spending a few years working my way out of the financial oblivion I had accidentally created for myself... I began to experiment with a comeback. I felt my break from podcasting was over, and I wanted to embark on a new journey. I sent out a number of emails to my most loyal listeners, saying that I was bringing the show back. Reactions were mixed. Many of their criticisms spoke of my inconsistency, and in my past failed promises of getting back to podcasting. I appreciated their honesty, but it was somewhat of a deflating experience to say the least. Alas, this was the least of my problems. Unbeknownst to me, the credit card that I'd used to renew my domain had expired, and as a result, so had my ownership of the domain thegoodatheist.net. A web company had purchased it from under my nose, no doubt paying a pretty penny for it, and had created a fake version of my site, they had stolen my intellectual property, and they were pretending to be me, albeit with a strange religious twist. Their slogan was, leave God alone, which made absolutely no sense. I suspect them to be a religious group, but I had no proof of it. When I contacted them, they demanded an exorbitant amount of money to regain control. I told them to fuck off, and if they kept on mimicking my sight, I would sue them. They agreed to take this mutated version of my site down, but kept the domain name. We were at a stalemate. There were two options. A. Either I would have to pay money to what I considered a group of scumbags, or B. I would have to create a brand new site and start over from scratch. I chose option C. I gave up. As time went on, I also became very disillusioned with the internet, and in podcasting in general. The medium had never been more popular, but this popularity had created a massive glut. Everyone and their dog, sometimes literally, had a show. And as YouTube grew in popularity, so did the variety of content. A whole new generation of voices were being heard, and honestly... What they had to say annoyed me more than inspired. In the mid to late 2000s, it was practically impossible to make a living podcasting. Back when I started, competition was thin. It took a certain level of expertise to set up, such as knowing how to create RSS feeds and manage websites, things that were generally out of the realm of your average person. Today, it's as basic as turning on your phone and just flapping your gums and people make millions doing it. You would think that this would inspire me to suddenly want to get back into it. It did exactly the opposite. At first, I wasn't sure why. I just felt a general sense of disdain for most content on the web. Hell, I even hate the word content. It's only recently that I came to realize that what I despised about the state of modern podcasting is the carelessness of those involved. There is such a pressure to produce that people are often speaking on matters they have very little understanding of. It's similar to what happened with news when it became a 24-hour broadcast. Rather than have proper journalists take time to understand a story they report on, shows are nothing more than talking heads speculating and gossiping about events as they happen. My view began to change, however. About a little over a year ago, a coworker had searched me on the internet and found an old podcast I had put up on YouTube that spoke about child witchcraft accusation in his native Nigeria. At work, he said he had listened to the whole episode and was surprised that he had never known about these types of tragedies happening in his own country. This made me see that there was more to my show than I had first anticipated. Choosing option B was not simple. I had no official database backing up the site, which meant that I would have to manually recreate the whole thing, one article and one podcast at a time. With over 340 shows and 1,300 articles, this was no easy task. In fact, it took me just a year to get everything done. A big part of the reason was because over 60% of my links and other references were dead. This forced me to either find new sources, or search the internet wayback machine to find them. If you know anything about me, you know how much importance I put on being able to cite sources. There were quite a few articles I had to unpublish specifically because all sources had disappeared, and could not, in good conscience, post anything that I couldn't back up information loss is real and it should terrify people the whole process made me see the fragility of information we think that the internet is forever it is anything but over half of all atheist blogs that I regularly link to are gone either due to lack of maintenance or for perhaps similar reasons to my own it was a reminder that one must always fight entropy, and that this world, if you aren't growing, you're dying. And so it was time to start over. But where to begin? When I first started my podcasting journey, I was a 26 year old man, with lofty ambitions and close friends equally hungry for success. Atheism was on the rise and it felt fresh to speak out on this issue. Times have changed. I'm in my 40s now, and my friends have their own lives. Some are even reluctant to speak out against religion, as the Internet has a way of interfering with a person's living. I know firsthand that employers are not very understanding when it comes to speaking out. I began by registering a new domain, the newgoodatheist.com. I built a new website, and slowly, article by article, I reposted them all, making sure that the dates, topics, and categories were all done in such a way to make it easy to find. I sent out a few messages to those that had not given up hope in me. It was a small group. Over the span of a year, I tested out a variety of different formats. I dabbled with trying to find a new co-host, and while the shows were fine, I realized that if I was to start the project anew, I needed to simplify how I produced them, lest I be stuck in a similar situation down the road. I also didn't want the show to be an imitation of itself. It takes a long time to develop the kind of chemistry I had with the friends I knew all my life. I used to categorize the podcast as comedy. This was done out of pragmatism since there is no category for atheism. To classify the show as religion and spirituality also fell wrong. I've now placed it under the category of news, as it reflects the new direction the podcast is aiming for. It's also done in a way that closely resembles an audiobook. Since I can't really make you laugh in the same way, I'd like instead to focus on making enjoyable, easy-to-listen shows that keep you informed on the important events happening around the world. The shows will also contain all the writings and links in the meta, meaning that you'll be able to read all the source materials I quote. It was a feature I often did in the past, and I'm sticking with it. Now comes my PBS-style pitch. You might be familiar with this drill. Heck, TGA practically invented the idea of patronage. In the early days of online payments, we sometimes used to have people mail in checks to pay for their membership. It was a chaotic mess back in those days. It seems while I was away, the rest of the world caught up with these ideas and made it easy. If you're reading this rather than listening to it, it means you were sent a newsletter from the old contacts I had when my website still worked. To you, this will be the first and only forced message you receive. You'll need to confirm to subscribe so that I won't be constantly bombarding you if you have no interest or if you've lost faith in me. Those of you that decide to stay, I'd like for you all to consider becoming a patron, starting at just $1 a month. If I reach my patron goal, then the show will become weekly, with much more to come. The specifics are on the Patreon page. For more information, simply search for Good Atheist on the site. At the time of releasing this, Three months' worth of shows will also be instantly available. I felt it was necessary to have this many months of consistent daily production before I could even justify asking for your hard-earned money to support this endeavor. Plus, in today's streaming service, it becomes expected to have a good amount of content to bite into in order to have a proper taste of a show before committing financially. Lastly, I'd like for you to consider the following... The Good Atheist, both the website and the podcast, represents an important catalog of religious wrongdoing. It's a resource for myself and others to fight back against the stupid notion that religion does no harm. If you agree with me that this is important to support these kinds of resources, then I would be honored if you were to join me on this quest. Thank you for listening, and now 15 minutes of the first chapter of Bible Stories. Please enjoy. Chapter 1 Creation, Part 1 In the beginning of everything that ever was, God created the heavens and the earth. A boring, formless mass of liquid cloaked in darkness, the Earth had relatively low property value, but tons of potential. The Spirit of God, hovering above it like a comic book villain, said, Let there be light! and the whole place lit up magically without any point of origin. To ensure this bright new creation would forever be different from the Black Void, The creator named one of them light and the other darkness. God saw what he had done and needless to say was extremely impressed with himself. The following day determined to best his brilliant invention of light. God separated the waters in two and he called the upper part sky leaving the bottom half unnamed before taking the rest of the evening off. On the third day He commanded the waters move aside to give some space for something more solid, and chose this moment to give both the land and the seas their familiar names and locations.
1: Let the land burst forth with all kinds of grass and seed-bearing plants,
0: he exclaimed. Brilliantly anticipating the need for each seed to produce the same kind of plant that bore it in the first place, He set the laws of heredity in motion before the day was through. Although it was difficult for even God to be certain if he had surpassed himself, he could see that it was all good. Deciding his new creation required adequate lighting, God set about creating an astonishing variety of distinct light sources that pockmarked the sky. Most were tiny and insignificant, but two of them were special. The first, and most glorious, was the sun. Having spent most of his talent making this shining beauty, God gave it the top spot during the day, leaving the dimmer moon stuck with the night shift. Taking a look at this new illuminated cosmos, his humble fabulous congratulated himself yet again on a job amazingly well done and took it easy for a while. After a tumultuous fourth day of building an entire universe of stars to properly orient a future creation he had yet to build, God slowed things down a little and put his focus on filling his new world with hordes of birds and fish, commanding them to breed until the entire earth was overrun with scaly and feathery creatures. With these two species well on their way towards world domination, God put up his feet and rested. Saving the best for last, on his final day of creation, God decided to design something a little more in his own image. And after continuing to improve on his animal menagerie, he finally built the first humans, both male and female, simultaneously. After giving them a nice blessing, he informed this new species that all the other creatures in his magnificent garden were theirs to do as they saw fit, and that this world was their new playground. And so, with an entire universe now functioning with clockwork efficiency, God decided to take Saturday off to wind down and relax a little. Creation Part Two. Creating paradise was no easy task, and God had no desire to spend his free time doing the hard work of tilling the soil or making sure the place didn't fall apart. To rectify this situation, he grabbed a handful of wet dirt and fashioned a clay Pinocchio out of it. After giving it magical CPR, the creation burst to life like a shitty Disney movie. God named him Adam meaning man, and to lodge this special new creation, he built a garden on the east side of the globe and filled it with delicious fruit trees. At the center of the garden, God planted two trees with magical properties. The first was a tree whose fruit could grant the knowledge of good and evil, while the second offered the gift of eternal life. Putting man in charge of running the place despite his inexperience, God told Adam he could enjoy the flesh of any fruit in the garden save one, the enticingly mysterious tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat this fruit, he explained, you'll die. Deciding man was best not left alone to his own devices, God formed an endless array of different creatures, both large and small, and showcased them to his new bipedal creation. Adam gave them all names, but none seemed to suit his sexual proclivities. In a stroke of genius, God placed Adam in a deep sleep to stealthily remove one of his ribs and used it to form a sexier, sleekier version of his finicky creation. When he finally awoke, Adam instantly fell madly in love with this mutated part of himself and named it Woman in his honor. Of all the creatures created to service man, the most devious was by far the snake. One day he approached Adam's wife, who was eating quietly by herself and minding her own business to ask, Didn't God tell you you weren't allowed to eat any of the fruits in the garden? Of course we can eat what we want, she replied. It's only from the tree in the middle of the garden that we aren't supposed to touch. God says we'll die if we do. You won't die, you stupid idiot, hissed the serpent. The only reason God doesn't want you to eat it is because he's afraid you'll become just like him and be able to tell the difference between right and wrong. That's all. Possessing no innate wisdom and enticed by the forbidden fruit, Adam's wife couldn't resist and took a large bite. She hurriedly shared the prize with Adam, and in an instant, both saw their extreme nudity and suddenly understood the principle of body shame. Gathering the most delicate fabric available at the time, coarse fig leaves, the couple fashioned the world's first and undoubtedly worst pair of underwear. In the evening, as God was strolling through the garden, Adam and his wife hid themselves among the trees to avoid being seen. Where are you? shouted the omniscient creator of the universe. We heard you, God, so we hid because we were afraid you'd see us naked,
1: replied Adam.
0: Who told you
1: about the shame of being nude? God asked. Did you eat from the tree I specifically told you not to?
0: Yes, but to be fair, she made me do it. Adam replied courageously as he pointed to his wife. God turned to her angrily and bellowed,
1: How could you do such a thing, you twat?
0: It was the snake, she said. He tricked me. That's why I ate it. Because you did this... Yahweh thundered at his slithery creation. I'm gonna
1: punish you, snake. First I'll amputate your limbs so you're forced to crawl around on your stomach your whole fucking life. Then, of all the animals on this planet, I've chosen your species to be cursed with the most violent and twisted sex. Finally, to top it all off... I'll make sure your own offspring will be constantly trying to kill you. God then turned to the woman and said, From now on, it's going to hurt like a bitch every time you give birth. And while you might feel a burning desire for your husband, he'll be your master from now on. So shut your mouth and do whatever he tells you to do. No questions asked. As for you, for the crime of having listened to your wife and done something wrong without the ability to distinguish it from right, I will now curse the ground and make it a pain in the ass for things to grow. You'll toil endlessly and have almost nothing to show for it at the end of the day. I'm even going to invent something called thorns on some plants so your hands get all cut up and shit just to annoy you. I need you out of dust, and that's what you'll eventually turn back into. Jackass! It was then that a chastised
0: and defeated Adam finally gave his wife a name Eve, the mother of all people. After killing a few of his creatures and fashioning some clothing from their hollowed out skins, God presented his children with these final parting gifts. Deadly afraid that they might disobey him again and eat from the tree of life and become gods themselves, Yahweh, like any inexperienced parent trying to discipline their child, chose the only course of action. He kicked them out of the house for good. As a positive sign of future relations, God stationed uber-powerful angelic security guards at the east side of the gate and set up a friendly, flaming sword to forever guard the path to the tree of life. Life was harsh in a new land cursed by a loving God, but Adam and Eve trudged on, and like any young couple in love who barely know one another, they quickly had a child. Despite the pain of labor, Eve was grateful for her new son Cain, and thanked God for her baby. The couple soon had a second son, whom they called Abel. Abel became a shepherd while Cain labored the land. When it was time to make the first sacrifices to God, the sweet smell of sinew and burnt blood pleased God more than that of roasted vegetables. This greatly angered Cain, who had worked
1: harder for his sacrifice. Why are you so angry? asked God. If you act cool and there won't be a problem. But if you don't fall in line, you'd better watch out. Sin's out there to destroy you, pal. I should know. I invented it.
0: Enraged by jealousy and refusing to listen to God's advice, Cain invited his brother Abel for a nice walk in the field. When no one was looking, a simple feat given the size of the population, He grabbed a nearby rock and cracked Abel's head open like a walnut. Shortly after burying his brother in a shallow grave, Cain was visited by God, who inquired on the whereabouts of Abel. "'I don't know,' he said, overreacting. "'Am I my brother's keeper, man?'
1: you think I'm an idiot?' replied God. "'I can hear your dead brother's blood crying out from the ground, you fool!' And now, because you committed the first homicide in the short history of mankind, I will banish you from here. From this moment on, you will be a Vagabond, forever roaming the Earth like a bum.
0: Hey man, that's a bit harsh for a little old fratricide, don't you think? Cain said defiantly. Not only are you banishing me from your highly localized presence, "'You decided to turn me into a hobo. "'Anyone who sees me is going to try to kill me.'" Pausing for a moment to salvage his poorly thought-out punishment, God finally replied,
1: "'I'll make sure no one tries to kill you. "'If they do, I'll give them seven times your arbitrary punishment. "'Your lord and master has spoken.'"
0: Then, to make sure anyone would know not to fuck with him, God gave Cain a badass scar and sent him on his way. And so Cain left the Lord's designated area, and rather than wander aimlessly forever, he settled with his wife in the land of Nod. There he built a city and named it after his first son, Enoch. His family would go on to have a long line of descendants, some of whom became successful inventors and smiths, while others went on to become the world's first musicians. As for his great-great-great-grandson Lamech, not only was he the world's first polygamist, but he also continued the family tradition of taking a life and promising the Lord's revenge on anyone who would dare punish him for it. At the tender age of 130 years old, Adam had another son whom he called Seth. Though unremarkable in life, Seth would live vicariously through the achievements of his own son Enosh, who set the precedent for worshipping God. Time marched on, and some of God's angels began to take notice of all the hot, available females down on earth. Copulating with them furiously, they soon filled the earth with a race of supergiants, much to God's great displeasure. While it was true that people were sinning less, this was mainly due to the fact that the Mighty One had reset the maximum human lifespan at a century rather than a millennium or so, although this had done little to fix the basic problem of everyone being a little shit. Disappointed with how his first attempt at creation had turned out, God regretted creating them in the first place. I'm gonna completely wipe
1: them off the face of the earth. He said to himself, heartbroken, and I'll destroy all the animals and birds who walk in the land for good measure. sorry to bother making dazzles.